Hello and welcome to ESPN Scrum Reset. I'm Brittany Mitchell. It may be sounding a bit different from normal because Sam Bruce, our regular host, is stepping out for a few weeks after the birth of his first child. So uh, get to the new, get used to the new voice that you will be hearing over the next month or so. And as usual, I am joined by Christy Doran. I am sure an Easter chocolate bunny connoisseur. Uh, did you get stuck into some chockies over the weekend as well as the rugby? Apple, I've had a number of hot cross buns, so I, I've probably indulged in that a bit more than the chocolates itself. But yes, great um, Easter weekend, a bit of rugby, probably not as much. I reckon a lot of people would have been thinking, is this a bit of a missed opportunity with not a, not a game on the Sunday after having three weeks with the, the force playing on a Sunday afternoon? But Great to have you aboard uh, permanently. Obviously, you popped up as a guest here or there, but good to have you here. I wouldn't say bigger and better, but perhaps better than our, our regular host, Brucey. Yeah, a quick shout out to Brucey, who uh, I'm sure is enjoying the life as a father for the first time. And as you mentioned, uh, only a few games this week. It uh, was a bit of a buy round, so we only got the four games to enjoy and I guess we've kind of hit the halfway mark of the season. We're heading into round eight. But uh, first, before that all kicks off, I guess we've got to do a little bit of a wrap-up of last weekend. Reds, Brumbies were probably the, the big talking point. And uh, one of those was the Angus Blythe reckless incident. I don't know what your thoughts are, but uh, I thought it was pretty disturbing to see uh, what happened to Corey Toole, the way that he came off second best to that hit. Um, and then in the end, it was a complete blowout to the Brumbies. And, you know, what does that mean for the Reds for the rest of the season? And especially Brad Thorne, he's off contract at the end of the year. What happens to him and, and where do the Reds go from here? Geez, there's a, there's a bit to dissect there. There's about three or four big talking points. To begin with, though, the Angles Blythe shot. Yeah, you're right. Reckless. It was clumsy. It was unnecessary. Like, he's a big big bloke on a little bloke, but this is exactly what World Rugby's been trying to clamp down for 10 years, and that's lowering the the tackle height, and he was pretty upright. The bloke has just kicked, being Corey Toole in a really vulnerable position. So to begin with, I, I thought it should have been a, a straightaway red card. I didn't see the, uh, the need for that to be um, uh, to have the TMO then decide whether or not that should be a red or a yellow to upgrade it. I thought it was so obvious. After one viewing, you could see that there was no mitigation whatsoever there. Um, he knew he was going to kick. It was a, it was a clumsy incident. Um, and I think that Ben O'Keefe, it, it's a really tricky one because I think the, the referees have been told, let's speed up the game, let's speed up the game. But this is the first time this year where we've seen a, an incident that should have been, I think, red-carded immediately. And what it means is that for the North that have been reluctant to, br to bring in these sorts of law changes or to consider a 20-minute red card, this is just a, a plain example of why. Because if that's a Johnny Sexton or if that's an Owen Farrell or if it's an Antoine Dupont and it's in, the, in a World Cup match or in a final or whatever it might mean, um, to only have a, a, an upgraded red card there means that your best player potentially could pay, you know, bear the brunt of not only being ruled out from a head injury assessment, but also means the week after with 12-day stand-downs, you might miss then a quarterfinal into a semifinal and a, a semifinal, uh, you know, into a completely missing the final. So 
it's at high stakes, these sorts of things. Did you think it was a, a red card to begin with? Well, see, it's interesting. When you look at the way that the, the laws are, are worded around that, if he gave a red card straight away, it goes to the full red card, no replacement player. It's no longer 20 minutes. But if you look at the wording, it has to be a deliberate act. And that's where it gets tricky because as reckless and careless and just plain bad as what Angus Blythe was, I don't think you can consider it as a deliberate act. And I think that's where it kind of fell into that category of it had to be the yellow card, went into that TMO, eight-minute assessment, and then upgraded. So it's kind of, obviously, it's all new rules and regulations. First time it's come in, it's kind of just feeling its way through the process. And I think in the end, it was the right decision purely because was it deliberate? No. So, but as you said, if you're looking from the north, which is exactly what happened all over Twitter, and they're going, how is that a yellow card? And then you have to do the explanation of, well, it was a yellow, but then it got upgraded. And then- And they just, as as we've mentioned last year, when England were down in Australia, touring Australia, and just they didn't understand the 20-minute red card concept at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. But, look, I don't think it necessarily um, had a huge sway in the match. The Reds actually um, managed that period particularly well. There was great try from Tate McDermott um, showing what he can really bring to a game that I don't think any other halfback in Australia, maybe Isaac Fines, um, can can do something similar, but um, they were always going to, I thought, get run over in that last half an hour because if you, you think about it, Billy Pollard, Darcy Swain, Jack Debrasini, Ryan Lonigan, you, you, you're bringing on classy operators, Wallaby Strength in the forward back, guys like um, Blake Shop and Reese Van Neck as well. Um, they've just got an embarrassment of riches when it comes to, to depth and that's really pleasing to see. But um, look, it's it's not a flattering scoreline for the Reds. They were in it at halftime. They probably should have led at halftime because, you know, another penalty and the Brumbies, you know, they had a bit of a decision there to kick to the corner or to take a shot at goals. I thought it was the right move to kick to the corner and it paid off clearly with the try to Lockie Lonigan. But, you know, Liam Wright yesterday was speaking about the importance and the necessity for them to fix up their discipline, that clearly what they've been doing for a couple of years isn't working. Um, but that's at the heart of the struggles. And, and it also comes back to, I think, Brad Thorne about why isn't the message sinking in? Because you can talk about it all you like, but why is it not being um, delivered onto the stage, onto the field? And and that's a real concern. And um, clearly now they've won two from their opening, I think seven games, they go to Apia in in, uh, in the Pacific Islands for a really tough test. The first time Moana Pacifica are going to be playing up there this year. Uh, there'll be a pretty raucous crowd. We know that the challenges that every touring team has had in Fiji. Well, now we're going to see against Moana Pacifica. It's a big, big one. And yes, we're looking forward to this week already. But when you think about the grand schemes of things with Brad Thorne and his tenure there, it's on shaky ground. I think everyone accepts that he's not going to be there beyond next year. The question is, if they do lose, they don't deliver a performance that is up to super rugby standard, do they pull the cord early? And that's the big question. We don't know that how they're going to perform. Are the, the Reds players that a lot of them came through underneath Brad Thorne and were given first opportunities from Brad Thorne, 
do they deliver a performance which says, no, he should be our coach, or do they roll over? It'll be fascinating to see how this week unfolds. Mm, definitely. And I, I think uh, there was a lot of questions after the week. Dan McKellar kind of started questioning the conditioning. They just got ran over in those last 20 minutes. Uh, James Horwell, former Reds captain, questioning just the direction that the team were in. Uh, Quade Cooper also tweeting about, you know, do they do they know the game plan? Do they have a, the right game plan to under Brad Thorne? And as you've mentioned, do they pull the court early? Do they get rid of him? It, if it was you, would you make that decision? I think I'd base it off this weekend's performance. Um, and and clearly that's they're not going to do it before this weekend. But when it comes to things like recruitment and retention, I think it's a really significant fact that people want to know who the coach is next year when they're looking to sign or re-sign or, 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 or come in on board. Like we know the struggles that Simon Cron has had. He came in last, I think it was about April when they made the decision. And by that point in time, a handful of players like your Fergusley Warners had already decided to go. At that time, Santiago Madrano had also signed to go. Fortunately, he comes back because of the uh, the situation in the north where a couple of teams have gone under. But but it's a big decision when you're trying to plan and go forward because the Reds have been bleeding chips for a little while now. Um They've, Brad Thorne had a lot of trust. He's well liked by particularly the board. Uh, they like the, the ethos and what he's tried to bring in. But we can just see that, and we've been saying it for quite a few weeks now on the podcast, and I know that other people have said it as well, but Quay Cooper said it on the weekend pretty well. What, what, How are the Reds trying to play? And I don't think that there's really clear examples and it never helps when you lose so many guys in your tight five, like your Tenniola Tupos, your, your Josh Nasses, your Harry Hoopits, your Luke Joneses, your Angus Blythe. Blythe only returns two weeks ago and now he's going to probably be sidelined for a few weeks. You can't win a game of rugby without a tight five. So I do empathise a bit with Brad Thorne there, but this has been a recurring theme for a few years and it's not like it's just happened overnight or this year. It happened last year. It happened after the Super AU title in 2021. And, you know, the conditioning, lots of injuries, um, an inability to, to win the big moments against Kiwi opposition, defensive holes, struggles there. It's a big, big talking point because Queensland is such a massive rugby nursery. And, it, and it, you know, there's half the rugby population pretty much comes from Queensland, so in Australia. So it, it is worthy of the talk of the headlines. It's about getting the right person. And, and all sorts of people are being thrown up as potential candidates, um, you know, from currently McKeenan, who spent, you know, a decade at Queensland Uni, but he's only in his first year as a super rugby coach. It's a huge ask to think to go on. Um, when you've had a what effect has he had what's he brought what's he delivered this year I reckon someone who's a sneaky chance that comes from uh, not left field but someone that's slightly been removed over the last 12 months is Matt Taylor uh, who won a title with the Reds in 2011 uh, has a decade of international coaching experience with Scotland and then the Wallabies Yes, things didn't work out quite how both parties would have wanted, but he's a guy that has been wanting a head coaching role in a while, up in Japan at the moment. Uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see 
what happens this weekend. But we've got to also say fair play to the Brumbies. They're, they're playing great rugby at the moment. What, what did you think of Noel Olaseo's performance? I thought he really, that was probably his most commanding performance and it helps when you strike him neatly off the tee. I think he was seven from seven on the weekend. Yeah, definitely. He um, definitely responded to Eddie Jones snubbing uh, in that Wallaby squad. And it's exactly what Eddie would have wanted. He's the yeah. type of guy who, you know, will be saying that, uh, like, I put you to the side. I've sent you that message. I want you to step up and really command in your position. And that's exactly what you did. The conditions weren't um, favourable in any oh, sense. No. It was bucketing down rain and they were determined to play and, and push the ball around, which was really entertaining to see. And they and they played the, they played in the conditions really well. There wasn't so much, it wasn't scrappy. It wasn't um, a messy game at all. It was still very highly entertaining and very quick. Um, and I thought he had, you know, the perfect game really to, to make that response. But one final thing before we move on, I guess, is Brad Thorne moving on. He's been at the Reds for a few years now. Would you consider his tenure there a success? He won Super AU in 21, but never seems to get any wins over the ditch in New Zealand, hasn't really produced what I think a lot of people wanted out of this team. Is it a successful tenure for the Reds? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, one that I hadn't completely considered yet anyway. Uh, he took over when the Reds were really at a, probably their lowest and and they'd struggled off the back of their plan to have Richard Graham take over from Ewan McKenzie. The, pretty much the entire class of 11 had bit by bit been chipped away and gone. They were right at the start of their building blocks. And I think there was gradual improvements from 17 to 18 to 19. Um, and, and even 2020, they... You know, Harry Wilson burst on the scene. They pushed the Crusaders over there. There's a beautiful long-range try. I think it was finished off by Henry Spate. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, Super Rugby finishes um, of what we previously knew. And it was probably shown of them being on the cusp of where they were at when they made a final against the Brumbies. They went down. It was a great game. I was there in Canberra. And then a year later, they win that AU title. And, and at that point in time, certainly it's a success. And I know that people, even guys like uh, very respected journos like Wayne Smith were talking up Brad Thorne and the potential to be become a Wallabies coach. Um, since then, it's been a, it's been a bit of a cliff dive. Uh, and now they're treading water for the, for the rest of the season. I think the one measurement where I would go, has it been a success or not? The development or the lack of development of guys like Harry Wilson, Fraser McWright, Tate McDermott, Jordan Bataille, how many of those guys, have, and Taniela Tupo especially, how many of those guys have kicked on? I don't know how many of them have kicked on. Yes, they're, they're very talented players. They're all wallaby capped. But have they become... Um, have they reached the ceiling or are they on the road to reaching their ceiling? I don't know. I think Jordan Pataille is having his best season. So is that because of what Queensland have done? Is that because of his involvement becoming a well, uh, you know, a fifth-year Wallaby, the experience that he's got, the 
maybe the frustration of not kicking up and the individual will to go, no, no, I need to be better. But I don't know how many players have really kicked on. And and that's probably where I go, mm, is that Brad Thorne's coaching? Is that the wider coaching team there? Um, there are some questions that we'll probably have to ask over the, over the coming weeks. Maybe more will come to light once players open up or don't open up or, or whatever it however it plays out but yeah it, it doesn't look particularly good at the moment and that's why another reason why you start to think do they pull this cord early so that either you give a, a mckean an opportunity to see what he's capable of or or do you go no brad we're going to give you this year out so much is on the line this weekend against minor pacifica who probably had one of their strongest showings of the year against the crusaders led at half time and um, they uh, they were never going to be great out of the blocks, but they're starting to put things together, string things together, combinations to go, you know what, they're going to be pretty tough this weekend. Yeah, definitely. If you look ahead to this weekend, Reds and Pacifica over in Apia, it's going to be a, a game to watch. And as you've mentioned, it's it's going to be a big crowd, a loud crowd, how the Reds respond to that will be you know interesting to see and they'll need to respond and they'll need to play that full 80 minutes because Pacifica aren't going to go away they have shown previously those last 15 20 minutes they can kind of get run down maybe conditioning isn't quite there yet but I think at home when you need that extra leg they're going to find it uh also this weekend it's the Tars force in Sydney already we've seen that the Waratahs they, they just had the bye week, the Forza and the Waratahs just had a bye. So that's nice. Um, they could, you know, push everything behind them and get ready for a restart. The last game was against the Brumbies. They really took it to them. They really, they could have taken that game home. They should have. They had it and they were, what, they were a man up for a lot of that game, 14 points up at several stages. They could have won that game. They should have won that game. Now they come back to Sydney. They're what one in in six. Yeah. They they need to they really need to get the ball rolling and this is going to make or break the season really. You know, start of the year, Darren Coleman's talking about a top four finish. Is it now just scraping into that top eight? What do they bring this weekend and how can they they get their season back on track? Yeah, well, the bike came at the perfect time because there was a couple of guys there that had knocks, busy, long, arduous opening six rounds, um, a bit of travel, a lot of travel. They'd only played, I think, two home games. And 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 like the Rebels who are going to benefit from a bye, um, you know, a bit of a walking wounded at the moment after their defeat to the Blues where they had lost a couple of hookers and a couple of front rowers and Trevor Hosea. Um, the, the Tars should... And I know that they had a, a pretty enjoyable few days off. I think it was Will Harris. I saw him at Palm Beach on, on Sunday afternoon with the surfboard out. And he, um, and I, they, they, benefit, they went into training, I think, on the Monday and the Tuesday last week and then had five days off. It's a great way to enjoy some of the Sydney sunshine, which, which we experienced um, just recently. But you're right, huge game because... Um, they they actually have the ability now to string quite a few games together. They've gone through that really tough period, and yes, they'll play the Blues. I think in in another week's time, but but they have a really 
really good-looking finish to their season where they might be able to come home with a massive wet sail. And even if they were to finish sixth or seventh, potentially eighth, they might even come up against the Brumbies where you only have to travel down the road. And you, and knowing what you just delivered a week earlier against the Brumbies in Canberra, they would feel pretty excited and optimistic about going down there and going, you know what, we can very much end these guys' season. So there is a lot to play for for Darren Coleman's side. Um, Simon Cron's force also would have enjoyed the week off um, after three weeks on the road in New Zealand. Historically, a bit of a bogey side for the Waratahs. Um, we we've probably could rattle off two or three times where they've um, either won at the end of the season to, to ensure that they miss out in finals or if they've won an early one um, in Sydney. So the force will come over thinking that they're a sneaky chance here. But I just think that the Waratahs now, they're starting to hit their strides. The week came off at the perfect time. Um, yeah, there will probably be a few nerves in the opening 20 minutes, but if they can start strongly against the force, I just think that they've just got that cast is now starting to come through. You can almost see it's like the cream's just rising to the top at the moment and week by week they're getting better. So big week for them this week. Uh, there was no media on Monday. Uh, that'll come about today. Uh, a huge opportunity for them to start their season, basically. It pretty much was a reset, I reckon, this last week, week and a half for them. Now it's about going, okay, we're here, a statement performance. Um, they will certainly be favourites. I think they should be favourites. It's now about going to go, well, you know what, we're actually a, de a decent side. We've got test players littered throughout our team. Guys like Michael Hooper have to continue to elevate their performances uh, and it comes a week before a, a, um, a Wallabies training camp too. People probably want to be able to walk in there thinking we belong because at the moment you probably look at guys like Ben Donaldson and go, you know what, probably shouldn't be there, but you are. Here's an opportunity to work, walk taller into a camp like that. Mm, definitely. And there was some news yesterday that unfortunately Will Harrison coming off the back of a, a knee injury last year has also re-injured that knee over the weekend playing in shoot shield uh, and they're expecting him to go for scans but DC coming out yesterday um, not likely to come back this season which is a massive blow because they've had Tane Edmund on the bench Ben Donaldson has been slotting in at 10 but as you said he hasn't really made that position his own there was a few errors against the Brumbies that kick that went out on the full that resulted in the, in the loss uh, there's things that he hasn't quite um, hasn't quite handled the the role as well he, as he should have. We've seen Max Jorgensen move into into fullback and his uh, game plan on the wing and everything like that. He's been fantastic for the Waratahs, but I'm sure that uh, DC would have loved to have Will Harrison back. Really, just uh, solidify that back three, come in at fullback, really make that his own. Tate Edbed when he returns from injury, then he'd have that full rank in the in the back line. Now without Harrison there, does it kind of uh, take a little bit away from the Tars going into these last few weeks or is there still enough there? Do we just hope that Ben Donaldson really takes hold of that fly half position, kind of throws away those little niggles and those issues that he's had those last few weeks and really steps up? Yeah, huge, huge week for him. And, and speaking of Will Harrison, first of all, 
I think it was two weeks ago that they had the um, the shoot shield launch, and it was a Wednesday afternoon, and Will Harrison's out there on the on the field, uh, and he's working with one of the Super W players with some kicking. Probably spent about half an hour that I saw that they were out there, and I don't know which Super W player it was, but it was interesting that Will Harrison, the bloke has been sidelined, not played a game of footy really for a year at that point in time was out there working with Super W player. I thought it was a really nice, poignant moment about how great a guy this person is. Youngster, 23, 24, was in a Wallabies training camp in his you know, first proper year in 2020. And you think about if had, had he been able to be behind a, a Waratah sport pack in 2020 that was going forward and not going backwards like it was for two years, he could have certainly been potentially the one that became that Wallaby in, in 2020. Instead, Noel Olaceo got that opportunity. It's a really big moment for uh, the, the the general manager, Andrew Blades at the Waratahs, the strategic thinking, because both Will Harrison and Ben Donaldson are off contract at the end of the year. Tane Edmonds re-signed uh, last year, and he'll be there until the end of 24. What does it mean for Donaldson and Harrison? And at the moment, with Will Harrison not being able to be on the footy field, it's pretty hard to re-sign him. And, and I know that he understands that his father, who's, who's heavily involved at, at the Randwick Galloping Greens Club, understands that uh, it probably means that you don't have to make a really tough, hard decision on someone like a Ben Donaldson as whether or not you think he still is there. Because four with Jack Bowen there too, doesn't go into into, you know, you can't squeeze them all in. There would always have to be some hard decisions made. Maybe it's been made a little bit easier by this really cruel setback. But on, on Donaldson, yeah, huge, huge moment. He's got to physically start to step up, command himself. He's been run over the top a couple of times in defence. Um, defence is often a confidence attitude thing. Uh, not that I would know, but I know that everyone always seems to say that. Um but huge moment for him. He's got a forward pack now that's that started to kind of return. There's enough guys up there to get to, to get parity. Um and 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 a, a back line that's now starting to click a little bit as well. We saw some continuity there against the Brumbies. So big, big moment. And and who wins that um on the weekend could be quite telling regarding a lot of test chances for these guys. Mm. And I guess the uh, the game of the round this week would have to be the Chiefs and the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes just moved into top place with the Chiefs having a bye last week. Chiefs unbeaten so far. Hurricanes have only dropped one game. This is the game to watch. This will be, I guess, would you consider it a preview for the final? Are the Hurricanes the team that are just behind the Chiefs that will give them a run for their money and, and take them all the way? Yeah, it's a huge game. I don't know who's going to win it. I was thinking about it earlier on today, this morning over coffee. Oh, look, huge game. Chiefs are coming off a bye. I, I just wonder whether or not um, they, uh, they, you know, don't, how does that impact them? Um, and and the Hurricanes have really like all season they've been on fire. Um, the one thing that I think that the Chiefs maybe just has it over. The, the Hurricanes is up in the type five. You know, they've got guys like Tupo Vai, Brody Vitalik, um, Toki Aho. Uh, they've just got 
a really powerful type five forward pack in general. But you compare that to the Hurricanes and you go, maybe that's where they have that that edge. But any side with Dane Coles um, is always going to make sure that they express themselves physically. There was a couple of moments there over the weekend where just a bit of push and shove and you just know that Coles, he loves that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a, it'll be interesting as well in, in terms of the halves. You know, does Damian McKenzie come back at 10? Has he... Yes, he's definitely in that All Blacks reckoning, but where does he fit when you've got Bowden Barrett, who showed what he's capable of against the Blues, probably his best performance of the week, uh, of the season thus far? Can you squeeze a Barrett and a McKenzie in the same 23? I'm not sure, maybe. Um, but the Hurricanes, I think the Chiefs start as favourites just, but the Hurricanes are the side that, yeah, they're, they're playing great rugby. And I think both these two teams, they haven't, been shocks or anything of how well they're going but you, when you think about the Blues and you think about the Crusaders who have lost one or two that you thought maybe they should win um, they're the side, two sides that you probably go, oh I didn't think they'd be first or second or third uh, but probably around that fourth position, third and fourth so huge stakes high stakes because whoever hosts a final and has that opportunity to host a semi-final and indeed a quarter-final that just makes that runway so, so much easier. So I'm looking forward to that. You're right. Who who do you think is uh, the, the scales? Which which way are they tipping? Like you said, it's a, it's a tough one. It's the, the Canes at home and, and they're always a tough one. Windy Wellington conditions are always a bit of a mess. Who knows? It might be raining, might be sunny, might be the balls blowing everywhere. But as you mentioned, the Chiefs are just an all-round team that are just so good and they've been playing so well. How they come out the back of a bye week, will they be a bit rusty? Will they come out firing? Who knows? But uh, I think I'll be falling in, in the Chiefs category just because they've just played so well this year. They just really haven't had a bad moment. They haven't been They haven't been patchy at all. They've always kind of clicked through this whole season. So I expect they'll they'll do it again this weekend, but it's going to be a very entertaining game to watch. It'll be something that people really need to put in their diaries and uh, get in front of the TV to uh, to watch that one. Um, well, if we we wrap up the Super Rugby chat, we can head into the sevens again. Played over the weekend, the Aussie men over in Singapore. They uh, the news the. The All Blacks men uh, came away with a second title in two weeks, which is uh, uh, a big turnaround from them. Last year, they they didn't really kind of get into first gear. This this year, they're, they're showing uh, what they can do. And our, our men backed up after Hong Kong, where they didn't, didn't really get the results they were they were after, and they they backed it up and they they finished fifth this weekend. Uh, out of all of that. The men haven't qualified for the Olympics yet. They're just out of, they're just a few more tournaments away. They need a few more results to uh, automatically qualify. Our women already did in Hong Kong. Where is the men's program at at the moment? Are, are we surging? Are we kind of plateauing? We're kind of middle of the lane at the moment. Yeah, it's a big moment for John Manenti's side. He probably sounds a bit like a broken record at the moment because it is so, so tight in the in the, in the World Series standings. There's probably eight or nine sides that, and as John often says, can win a tournament on any which day. But 
They responded well in Singapore, the men. Um, they're probably a bit unfortunate not to make it through to that knockout stage a week earlier in Hong Kong where they won two out of three. Um, but in Singapore, they they played well throughout the pool stages, a comprehensive victory over South Africa, who aren't nearly as strong as they once were, but still are gritty and can can push sides. Um, but they just got dominated at the at the at the kick restart zone in I remember in Tokyo in their opening game against Argentina, they were completely rattled and they pretty much missed every kick restart. And guys that were good in the air, like Dylan Peach previously struggled. And that kind of set the tone of their tournament and they were bundled out in the quarterfinals. And yes, they improved, but as a result of, of not finishing first or second or taking that momentum, it was always an uphill battle. They were smashed against Argentina in that area. They lost the three opening three kick restarts. Um, they didn't really seem like they had their pod structures right to be able to compete properly there too. So I reckon that's their big work on. There's two tournaments left, Toulouse and then London. And they need a, a top four uh, finish in the World Series standings to automatically qualify for the Olympics. They're currently fifth on 112 points, 10 points behind France and 18 points adrift from Fiji. Uh, they wouldn't want to miss that top four, though, because if they do, it means they would have to probably play Samoa in the Oceania tournament to progress uh, through to the Olympics. So it's a big, big next uh, five, six weeks for Menanti's Australian side. The positives are Darby Lancaster. That guy is, is killing it at the moment. A 19-year-old, soon to be 20. Three Super Rugby franchises are, are, are trying to to bring him to their their side, the Waratahs, the Brumbies, the Force, and it's kind of interesting as well because yes, it would be very competitive with the Waratahs. It's probably not a huge like. Can you see him playing for the Tars next year when you've got a knowing who else here, a Dylan Peach, a Matt Jorgensen, Brumbies similarly pretty stacked there, and they've got a great. Um, uh, tradition and pathways of bringing and developing players. We're seeing it with Corey Tool. We're seeing it with Ben O'Donnell. And then you've got the force who are obviously 4,000 kilometres ac across Australia and Perth, but have historically struggled. And have they developed players that, that some would have hoped for? I, I don't think so. So he's got a decision to make to about where he goes. And I'm sure that he will be able to be released for the, the Sevens program next year for the Olympics, regardless of maybe missing various tournaments. It's probably pretty crucial that he and Corey Tool end up in that program next year for them to have a, a proper chance of, of, of going deep at the Olympics, if indeed they qualify. But big, big moments over the next five weeks for the, for the men's program. It's interesting that you mentioned these super teams, especially the Waratahs and the Brumbies chasing after Lancaster, as you mentioned, they're already pretty stacked in their back line, especially on their wing. So it, it is interesting that they're, they're chasing down another player. But as you said, a, a big few weeks coming up for the Sevens program and um, crucial really uh, heading into next year. Uh, really quick before we sign off on this week's edition, we'll have to touch on the Super W competition. We're in uh, just pass through round three uh, the Waratahs have moved into top position with the Reds sitting second 
and Fijiana Drua in third place. The Tars just absolutely made, uh, well, they, they got their revenge over the Drua on the weekend, which was um, what they had been after. It had been top of their list for the last few months. And so they finally got the job done at Concord Oval and it was a, a great game to watch. I'm not sure if you came across it, but there's a few young players in this this Tars team that have really stepped up this year. Caitlin Hulse at fullback. We've got Desiree Miller on the wing and uh, Ella Ryan in at fly half taking over in that position. Uh, they have really this young mixed, uh, a new look Waratah side have really stepped up this year. And, and I don't know with the state that Fijiana Drew are in, they, they only have nine girls from last year's season that have come back this year. If uh, anyone's really going to catch the Tars this year. Yeah. Historically, historically, Queensland has always been a side that have, have competed in the final. Uh, they've, they've made a lot of finals. They had a good win uh, over the Brumbies. I think it was the four sets um, that beat the Rebels too. Competitive games is what you're really after. Uh, what have you seen in terms of the standard across the board? Is it has it um, the Waratahs seemingly look like they're head and shoulders above the rest? But when you think about the other five uh, sides at the moment, and maybe Fiji's in that same category as the Tars, but the other franchises are they closing the gap yet or not? Well, it's it's interesting when you look at it. I think. Um the the international talent that has come into this into the Super W competition this year, I think is has done the elevating in terms of the talent into bringing these closer matchups. You look at the Brumbies, they brought in Amy Rule, who played for the Black Ferns, just won a World Cup in New Zealand last year. She's uh, perhaps one of the best props in the world. Uh, you bring a player like that in, they've got a few girls from Japan. Um, some Fijian girls, it, it does bring a bit more talent, dynamics, uh, things like that. And they and the Brumbies have, have definitely stepped up this year. It's the same over in Queensland. They've got a few girls from New Zealand playing for them. They've elevated this year. The force, similar. They brought in a lot of talent. And it is it does kind of feel like it is a reliance on international players to really elevate it. I think at this time that's kind of what we need really mm. um previous the Fijiana Drua joining last year it was the competition was getting a bit stagnant cars were winning blowout score lines uh it wasn't competitive in the slightest the Reds were kind of the only teams keeping team keeping up with the Tars last year Fijiana Drua changed it there was suddenly another an x-factor team that um change the dynamic of the competition. The Tars were really the only team that could keep up with them. And in that grand final, it was an amazing grand final to go watch. It's definitely one of the best uh, Super W games ever played. Probably one of the best women's games. Up there is one of the best women's games to watch. Um, and then this year, it, it, I think the, the, the new look Tars have come back a little bit, not too much. Um, and then a lot of teams have now with their international talent have kind of closed the gap. The Rebels are probably the only team that haven't really taken their game too much further, which is a bit unfortunate because you can see they're trying really hard and they've got some good talent down there. It's just kind of taking it to that next level. They don't really have any international talent compared to the likes of the Brumbies, the Force, the Reds. 
Um, the Tars are the only team that haven't looked to go international, um, which is, I guess, fair enough. There's no point for them. They've got so many girls just lining up. I mean, if you can turn to a 16-year-old who comes in and makes a debut in the first game and, and makes a statement in her first game and, and continues to lift, I don't think you really need to go looking overseas. And I, I know Campbell Aiken has told me personally that that's not what he wants to do. He wants to look at what he's got producing in Sydney. Um, but these next few games coming up, it's the Tars-Reds this weekend, and then the Reds play Fijiano to finish off the, the regular rounds. And then um, heading into the top four, now that they've expanded the uh, final series with the top four, it, it'll be really good to see who kind of fits into that fourth position. I, my feeling is the Brumbies are going to get there. Um, but, yeah, a, a big few weeks coming up in, in regards to the Super W competition. And tell, tell me just quickly, is there is there talks going on regarding a crossover final series at some point in time between New Zealand competition and, and, and the Super W at the moment, or is there the potential of a standalone final between the two Trans-Tasman respective winners? Is that something that's that's being spoken about? Look, it's been plenty of chat about joining the two competitions together, Super Rugby OP here in New Zealand and then Super W in Australia. And I know a lot of girls are keen to get that um, going, get that Trans-Tasman comp going. Look, things have been brought up, but nothing is really cemented. We hear end of the year, something could happen. Early next year, it could happen. But uh, nothing has really um, been... Uh, it has really been nailed down yet. So uh, I haven't heard anything about a uh, uh, a final series between Australia and New Zealand. There is possibility that they are in talks about doing something like that. All, all it is at this stage, or what I've heard at this stage, is, is joining the two competitions, similar to the Super Rugby Pacific, make it a trans-Tasman competition and uh, going from there. I think the issue with doing that um, the Tars were the first team to go over earlier this year and played a few preseason games with the Blues and the Chiefs. Um, they they were competitive and it was good. It was just a preseason game. A lot of young girls in the Tars team running out for the first time. Um, the issue will be: does the rest of the Australian teams um, keep up? Yeah. Are they going to be competitive enough when we when we eventually? Um, create this competition and I, I think at this stage yes the Tars, the Reds, Fijiana, uh, perhaps the Brumbies could be competitive but again if you've brought in international talent especially New Zealand players who play in Opeki what happens if we do a combined competition do they go back to their New Zealand teams and then these teams like the Reds and the Brumbies and the Force who have benefited from them so far do they step back so. Yeah. Well, it seems, it seems obvious that at the moment there would be a massive gulf in class there, but I think at the very least it would be great to see the respective um, finalists and champions go head-to-head. -head. I think that could certainly be something where Australia and New Zealand both be competitive, and that's what you ultimately want. And, you know, when there's questions about the men's competition, whether or not Australia still uh, can bring out five competitive sides. We know at the moment, I think the ledger's 11-1 uh, 
from memory. Um, I, I don't think you necessarily want to lock yourself into something like that with with a, a women's competition as well. But I think smaller steps can be a great thing. So watch this space on that. But it'd be great to see uh, whoever takes out this year's championship go toe to toe. Um, I reckon, Britt, you've you've uh, you've nailed your first hosting session. Sam Bruce might have to sweat a little bit longer on the sidelines, not only through his first week. So wishing him well, but um, great to have you aboard. Yeah, so thank you so much. And uh, holding my hands through the uh, my first week, it's not a bull. Uh, um, it was, it was, it's been good. It's been great to chat rugby. I mean, no one can be upset about getting a chance to chat rugby for an hour in, in the morning. So thank you so much for joining and helping me through my first week. And uh, that's about it for our ESPN Scrum Reset podcast. And uh, make sure to come back along next week when we're, we'll be rounding up all of next week's action.